It's wonderful to be here. It's my, my first time in Stellenbosch in this venue. I think the last time I was in Stellenbosch morning was way back at the, yeah. So it's great to be here. It has been a long time. It's great to see so many uh, faces that I don't know. Um, one, of, one of the challenges in uh, the responsibility I have is um, lots of people see my videos, uh, my little two minutes with Mike or uh, the training videos or whatever it may be. And uh, so people come up and they go, hi, Mike. And I'm like, am I supposed to know you? Um, uh, I'm terrible with names. So if, if you've introduced yourself to me five times and I still don't know who you are, please forgive me. Um, you know, the worst, the worst is, you know, when somebody introduces you and they say, hi, my name is, like, Kevin. I go, I'll remember that. It's my dad's name. And they go, yeah, you said that last time. <laughs> uh, but I, I do want to share a, a message I think is from the Lord this, this morning. Um, but I want to tell you a story first. It's a story I heard many years ago, and it's uh, about uh, two children, one Christmas, and uh, they wake up, and uh, the young boy looks, and he's got all these presents, and he's got a kite, and he goes, ah, you know, if I use this kite, it's just going to get stuck in a tree. And he's got a, a toy yacht, and he goes, ah, if I use this, it's just going to blow away, and my football, if I, you know, if I take that outside, my friends are going to kick it, and it's going to get damaged and dirty, and every present he had, he found a reason why it wasn't good enough, it wasn't appropriate, it wasn't the right present. And then his sister only had one present, and she opened the box excitedly, and it was just a bag of horse manure. And she embraced her parents, and she said, thank you, thank you, thank you, you're awesome parents. And they said, uh, why are you so excited? She said, well, there's horse manure, there must be a pony somewhere. <laughs> And the point of the story is this. We often think we're justified in our reactions by our circumstances. But actually, it's our attitude that determines what our circumstances mean. It's our responses. And a lot of, a lot of us feel like, to be honest, we're just given horse manure on many occasions. How many of you feel like that? You look around and everybody's getting nice stuff and it looks like you're getting horse manure. Come on, be honest. Yeah. But if we know that God loves us, and if we know that God is a good Father who only gives good things, then even in those difficult times, we can respond the right way. But our problem often is we can't really connect to God properly as a good father. Because there is a war on in this world right now. There is a war against fatherhood. There is a war against fathers. There's a war against families. You know, at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and I don't want to get into that so much, um, but I, I did some research. I go, okay, let's have a look at not the phrase, but the organization Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter as an organization said they are devoted to destroying the idea of the nuclear family. In the name of justice. Somehow the family is this white colonial idea. No. Family isn't a white idea or a black idea. It's a God idea. God created family. And God revealed himself as father to us. And then he gave us fathers... And his idea in, in, in a perfect world outside of sin is that an earthly father would reflect the heavenly father. But because of sin, because of our frailty, because of our selfishness, because of all of those things, too many men do not represent God in fatherhood. And in fact, too many people are, are growing up without fathers at all. I just want to read you some statistics to put this in context. And these are really, really scary statistics. So in South Africa today, around 70%, 70% of children born will not have a father's name on their birth certificate. 70%. So 70% of children 
will be born without knowing who the father is or without an involvement of a father in, in their lives. Now, add to that how many fathers die, how many fathers are absent, how many fathers divorce, how many fathers are negligent or abusive. How many children in South Africa will grow up with a loving father? And we wonder why society is in the mess that it is. Let me give you some other statistics. And these generally um, are statistics from America because it's very hard to get these statistics in South Africa. But if these are the statistics in America where they have all the advantages of uh, a welfare state, all the advantages of, of finance and, and riches, and you know they don't have the legacy of apartheid and all of those things, whatever these statistics are, they're probably worse in South Africa. So here's some statistics. 63% of youth suicides are people from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90%. 80% of people convicted of, of rape come from fatherless homes. 80%. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers, in other words, 75% of adolescents being treated for drug and alcohol abuse come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes. Compared to living with both parents, living in a single-parent home doubles the risk that a child will suffer physical, emotional, or educational neglect. Daughters of single parents without a father are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. 711%, 711% more likely in other words, seven times more likely to have children as teenagers. 164% more likely to have a premarital birth and 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 90% of adolescent arsonists live with only their mother. And in the news recently, there's been a number of mass shootings in America and, you know, a lot of debate about gun control. And wherever you stand on gun, gun control, that problem will not be resolved unless they deal with the mental health problems, the breakdown of society, and primarily the breakdown of family. Because if you, if you do research into all of those mass shooters, the vast, vast majority of them come from homes where they have not got a father involved. What does that tell us about fathers? And I don't say this in any way to denigrate or, or, or diminish single moms. Single moms are my heroes. I'm, I, I have the privilege, my wife and I, um, we've got two, two teenage girls now, they're 18 and 17. And let me tell you, doing that job together is almost impossible. <laughs> and so I have great admiration for single moms. But God's order, God's plan, God's design, God's ideal is a mom and a dad. And today's Father's Day where we celebrate dads. And as somebody said earlier, it's not a nice day for some people. It's not a nice day because they don't have a dad. Oh, the dad they have was negligent, abusive, distant. And so I know this is a difficult thing for some people. But the answer to a broken world is not to give ourselves over to that model, but it's to try and redeem these things. 
Because the message of the world as well, as much as fathers are absent, look at entertainment, look at the media, look at what is the, wor the world is selling us. How many shows on TV have a positive picture of the dad? What's your typical sitcom? The dad's always an idiot, right? And the mum comes and saves the day. We live in a society and a culture with multi-generational conflict. Okay, boomer? Who's seen the okay, boomer memes? <laughs> yeah? Like this thing of, and Greta Thunberg. How dare you, she screams at the older generation. How dare you rob me of... No, the older generation haven't robbed you of anything. Have the older generation failed? Yeah, just like the generation before me failed and the generation before them failed. And just like, believe it or not, this generation will fail as well. But that's the spirit of the age that has come to undermine family. You know, there's the African proverb, um, oops, the African proverb that it takes a village to raise a child, yeah? Yeah. Who's heard that proverb? And it is true. But even that proverb has been um, appropriated and manipulated to destroy family. So you, you'll see socialists say, it takes a village to raise a child, and what they mean is the state must raise the child. And so um, you'll see, if you, if you study in America right now, what, one of the big cultural battles is in schools of, do parents have the right to have any say in what is taught at schools. And many people say, no, they should just shut up and the school should be able to teach what they want. And believe me, this is happening here as well. Uh, where, where teachers are having conversations with, with children who are eight, nine years old about being transgender and saying, you can transition, we won't tell your parents. That it's legal to, to, to give a, a child an abortion and not tell the parents. It's, it's because the message now is the children don't belong to the parents. They belong to the state. They belong to the nation. They belong to... And here's the problem. As well-meaning as a government may be, and most of them aren't that very well-meaning, <laughs> excuse my skepticism, <laughs> politicians are often self-serving, but as well-meaning as a politician or a bureaucrat or a teacher may be, they don't love my child like I do. And they don't have the God-given responsibility for my child that I have. And they may think they know what's best for my child, but I doubt they would lay down their lives for my children like I would. Children, parents, family, is a God-ordained idea, and that should be the building block of any community. And it should be the building block of the church, that we see ourselves as family, and we, are, we see ourselves as multi-generational. We don't see ourselves isolated and at conflict with, with the different generations. I love in 1 John, and we're not going to turn there, uh, but in 1 John, there's a, a wonderful passage where he writes... Um, to the church. And he says, I'm writing to you fathers. And he gives fathers instructions. And then he says, I'm writing, uh, I'm writing to you young men. And I'm writing to you children. And in that one letter he's saying, there's fathers in the house, there's children in the house, there's young men in the house. And each generation have something to offer, something to contribute, and something they need from the other generations. As a father, as somebody with a grey beard who's a little bit older, and, and I've, been, um, I've been serving the Lord for, well, I've been served for about 50 years now. The first time I was in any form of leadership was 40 years ago. So I think that qualifies me a little bit on the father level rather than children level, right? And I think I've got something to offer not because I'm cleverer or more spiritual or more important or more valuable. I just happen to have seen a lot of things. I've gone a long way down the road. I think I've got something to offer. 
But you know what? Somebody who's been saved today has something to offer me. Because like, an, like a natural family, when a child is born, it may create a mess and a lot of work and a lot of expense and a lot of inconvenience, but it also brings life and joy into the family as well, right? And so as a new believer, you, you may requ- it may require a lot of work and a lot of investment and a lot of time and energy in discipling you, but I benefit as well. And young men, and I look around and I see a lot of young men and women, and you're awkward as well. <laughs> Man, my 18 and 17-year-old, I don't know which is, which is the hardest age to parent. You know, when the kids are like screaming through the night and you're thinking, I, I, I can't wait till they're just a little bit older and they're sleeping, life will get it. It doesn't get easier, it's just a different challenge. And the challenge is that 18 and 17, they think they don't need me anymore because they think they're adults and they know what's going on. Until suddenly they do need me. (laughs) Dad. (laughs) And it can go within 15 minutes, it can go from, you're the worst dad in the world, to, Dad, I love you. Uh, But as young men and as young women, you still got something to learn. You still, you still don't know what you don't know. But you bring a passion and a zeal and an energy that, that I wish I still had, but I don't quite have like I had. So we need each other. And so this isn't a condescending thing. You need to listen to your elders. It's, no, elders, you need to listen to the younger people as well. We need to come together with mutual submission, mutual honor, mutual respect as the household, as the family of God, knowing our place and glorifying God in our relationships and honoring the concept of fathers, both, both earthly and spiritual fathers. God himself reveals himself as father. And I, a few years ago, I was thinking, why, why father? You know, why, why does God call himself father so often? Why does he reveal himself in that particular relationship? Why does he give us fathers? What is it about fathers that is so important? If these statistics are true, and they are, what is it about fathers that is so essential? What makes them so important? And I realized that fathers have a unique position and relationship, and it's position and relationship, where father carries that unique blend of love and authority. So other people carry authority. Um, if, a policeman, if you're driving down the road and a policeman flags you down, he has authority, right? And you don't argue with a policeman like you argue with your father. <laughs> so many people have authority, but a policeman doesn't love you like a father does. And you may have people in your life who love you, but they don't have the authority that a father does. And it's that beautiful combination, that unique combination of, of authority and love. But even authority, there's, there's another side to authority, and that is responsibility. If I have authority, I carry responsibility. And if I carry responsibility, I must have authority. If I say to you, um, can you volunteer to look after the kids this Sunday? Will you be responsible for the kids? And you say, yeah, sure. I said, but you're not allowed to rebuke any of them. You're not allowed to tell any, any of them off. You're not allowed to put rules down. You can't have any authority. You're going to say to me, well, don't be crazy. How can I be responsible for them unless you delegate some authority to me? But likewise, somebody goes around saying, listen to me, you will do as I say. If I'm not responsible for you, what authority should, should that person carry? We've had, we've had people at times coming to Josh Jen. I remember in the early days, this guy came in and he was like, listen for about 10 minutes and said, I want to get up and, and, and speak to these people. And, and, and we're like, but who are you? No, I'm the, I, and we go, wait a minute. No, you don't have any authority in this place. 
Because you don't carry any responsibility in this place. You've just walked in. We don't know you from a bar of soap. And so authority and responsibility are two sides of the same coin. And unfortunately, again, just as this concept of fatherhood has been uh, under attack and has been mangled and distorted in the world, it's been distorted in the church very often. And so you have men going around going, I'm a spiritual father. You must obey me. You must listen to my authority. But if that man doesn't have a responsibility, if he, doesn't, if he doesn't love you, if he doesn't know that he will stand before the Lord one day and give an account for you, then how can he go around trying to say, I've got authority? You know, there's, there's preachers who go around, don't touch the Lord's anointed. How many of you have heard preachers say that, right? That is a great line when you're David. <laughs> It's a terrible line of your soul. So as, as a leader, I'm not going to say, don't touch the Lord's anointed. But as a follower, I'll say, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to try and control and manipulate. It's not about control. Somebody once accused me and said, you just, you just want to control people. I said, please, no. I said, I have enough trouble with self-control. I don't want to have to try and control somebody else as well. <laughs> really? But I do have a love and a responsibility. And do we have a love for one another? Do we know about the responsibility that God has given us? And that applies to elders. It applies to deacons. It applies to dads. It applies to moms. It applies to those who, who have taken somebody under their wing and they're discipling others or, or looking after kids or leading worship or doing youth. It's like, has God given you an area of authority? then he's giving you an area of responsibility. And are you loving those people that you're taking care of? Are you treating people as though they're your children? And so God needs to raise up families. But a greater challenge isn't trying to be a father. The greater challenge is trying to be a son. The greater challenge for many of us is to be a good son. And I look on my life, man, my father is an incredible guy. He loves Jesus. He's been serving the church for 50 years. Um, you know, he's one of those guys, everybody meets him and they like him. Everybody goes, Kev, my dad's name is Kevin. Kevin is just like the nicest guy we've ever, I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> incredible guy and I look at my life especially as a teenager and remember how I treated him and how I responded to him and what I accused him of because even though he was an amazing dad and I, and I was saved and I knew God and I had all of those advantages still my own pride my own Humanity, my own sinfulness got in the way. And it's very, very hard for us to be good sons and daughters, especially if we've ex experienced bad or absent fathers. And so many times I hear people say, I struggle to see God as a father because of what my own father was like. And I want to say this, I struggle to see God as father by looking at my own father. Because amazing as he is, he's only a man. <laughs> and he doesn't represent God fully. It's maybe easier for me than most, but it's still not 100%. I said, don't try and see God as a father through the lens of your own father. Try and see what a father should be by seeing God. And when God reveals himself to you, you go, that's what a father should be. And just as my heavenly father has forgiven me and released me from my guilt and my shame and my sin, I'm going to release my own father. You know, a few years ago, I, um, I was in the, the church office working and uh, one of the elders came through and he said, please, Mike, can you help me? I said, what's going on? He said, I I'm praying for this guy for deliverance, but, but I'm afraid. I'm thinking, why are you afraid? He said, no, no, I'm not afraid of the demon. 
But when I start praying for this guy, this, this guy manifests like a wolf and he starts trying to bite me. I'm, like, I'm not afraid of the demon. I'm afraid of being bitten. I like physically need. <laughs> so I said, sure. So we went through and we were in the training hall and there's this young guy. And uh, we started praying for him. And literally, as we prayed for him, his whole face distorted. And he'd get down on all fours and start trying to bite us. And he would run around on all fours. And you know, like when a dog runs into a door... <laughs> and shakes its head and then it was like literally it was like he, he, he'd lost his mind so we prayed for him and uh, cast out the demon and he was in his right mind I said let's talk because I want to know what got you here so we can help you not end up back here I started talking about his background and whatever and one of the things he told me was this that his father had left when he was very, very young, but he didn't know his real father. Then he had a stepfather, but his stepfather had never loved him, never accepted him. And this had just caused so much pain that he'd gone looking for acceptance in different areas and different groups, and he had this anger and this bitterness and this loneliness and this desperation to be accepted and loved. And I said to him, you know, you're going to have to forgive your stepdad. And he said, I, can't. I said, I know you don't feel it. And forgiveness primarily isn't a matter of emotions, it's a matter of choice. Can you choose to forgive him? He said, okay. I said, why don't we pray together? And I'll give you the words and you can just repeat after me because he couldn't even... And so he prayed a prayer of forgiveness over his stepfather. And I said, let's go step one. I said, do you have the faith to go one step farther? He said, yeah. I said, why don't we pray a blessing over him? Not just forgiveness, but let's go in the opposite spirit. And let's just pray that God would bless him. He said, okay. And so he prayed a prayer of blessing over his stepfather. And he went home. He'd been home an hour when his mum and his stepfather arrived home from wherever they'd been. And he was outside on the patio having a cigarette because he's still, you know, in the process. <laughs> <laughs> Don't recommend smoking, but this is... <laughs> he said, as he was outside on the patio smoking, his stepfather came out to the patio with him. His stepfather did not know He'd been to church, not a saved family, not a church family. His stepfather didn't know he'd been to church, didn't know that he'd been through deliverance, didn't know anybody had prayed with him, didn't know what had happened at all. But within an hour of him praying a prayer of forgiveness and praying a prayer of blessing, his stepfather said, can I just speak to you? He said, I've realized I've not been a dad to you and I want to say sorry. And God did a miracle. Other people have stories where they've prayed forgiveness and there's been no change in the Father. But there's been change in their own hearts. And that's important, right? And not only a change in their own hearts, but a change in his ability to relate to his heavenly Father. Because while he was holding bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and feeling of, of rejection from his stepfather. While that was dominant, he was struggling to accept the love of a heavenly father. Two weeks later, I was visiting that congregation, and a young guy came to say hello. I said, hi, uh, what's your name? And he said, no, it's me. And I literally could not recognize him. He looked a completely different person. Because, because... He wasn't trying to find God through the lens of his stepfather. He was beginning to see his stepfather through the lens of God. How do we restore families? How do we restore fatherhood? And maybe you've been the victim of a bad father, or maybe you're a father who feels like you failed your children. Well, here's the thing. Reach out to God and allow God to transform our families and heal our relationships. I said to this guy, how are you doing? He said, I, I used to be a, a wolf, but I'm all right. No! <laughs> no <he didn't. laughs> 
Sorry. (laughs) 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 Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. Let's have a look at that. Because there's some people here, you feel feel you've not been fathered. You feel orphaned. And it speaks of God, that God is the father of the fatherless. He's the protector of widows in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in her home, or he puts the lonely in a family. And he leads out the prisoners to prosperity. This is what God does. God is in the business of taking the lonely and putting them into family. And that's what this is, or at least should be. It's not a club or a society. It's a family where we belong to one another. And within a healthy family, and I know this is, this is getting rarer and rarer, but in a healthy family, no matter how much we fight, we cannot say, I'm out of here. No, no matter how much we disagree, we can't walk away from one another. When my wife and I got married, or before we got married, we agreed the word divorce could never even be used in, a, in an argument. It could never even be considered as an option. You know why? Because we know how weak and feeble and sinful and selfish and lazy and angry we can get. And if that is ever considered an option, sometimes, and I'll be honest, over the last 25 years, there have been days where that would have been, seemed like an attractive option. Does that shock you? (laughs) That an elder might confess that maybe on certain days in my weakest points, if I'd have allowed myself to go that way, divorce might have seemed like a nice way out of a difficult situation. But it was never considered an option. Our only option was to work through it and wrestle through it and fight our way through it. And that's what families are. And, you know, one of the things that saddens me is people, people say, I feel God has added me to this church. They've added me to this family. And then they get a little bit upset or offended. And the next thing they're going somewhere else, they go, like, imagine what our families would look like if every time I offended somebody in my family, they said, no, I'm going joining the family down the road. This is the family, this is the household of God. And I want to speak to the men. You have a responsibility as you mature, to mature into fatherhood, whether you have your own children or not. If we look at the statistics of children growing up without fathers, maybe they don't have a blood father, maybe they don't have a father living at home. But never let it be said that any of our children grow up without a father. Somebody who invests in them, loves them, believes in them, takes them out for a burger, visits them when they're playing sport at school, goes and watches them play rugby. What would it mean to a young child without a dad if a bunch of our young guys said, we're going to go and watch his rugby match on Saturday and we're going to support him? What would that do for his relationship to the church and his relationship with his heavenly father? What would do that, that do for his own security? And it's not about control. It's not about, I want to be a father so that I, so that I have power over other people. I, I didn't want children for a long time because I just, I'm very rational. And having children doesn't make sense. <laughs> Come on, does it? What, what sense does it make? I, I, was, I was joking with my daughter yesterday. I said, if I didn't have kids, I'd have been on a cruise by now. For, you know, it's like we, the holidays we could have and the, the car I could drive. And the... Ah. The time I would have... 
And from a purely logical point of view, children are inconvenient, <laughs> expensive, messy, time-consuming, pens in the butt. <laughs> and yet those of us who've had children wouldn't have it any other way. Because what they give to us is intangible. What they give us actually is far more than we give them. And you can't reduce your children to a cost. I've never tried. It would scare me too much. (laughs) (laughs) But whatever the cost is, it's been worth it. Because as a father, it does something in your heart where you go, I would do anything for this child. My daughter loves to dance. That's what she wants to do with her life. She wants to be a dancer. And she was just kind of dreaming the other day. And she said, if I applied to Juilliard in New York and I was accepted, could I go? I said, I don't think there's any way I could afford it but I would do everything I possibly could. If that's what the Lord wanted for you, I would do anything to literally, I would do anything to make that come true for you. Not because I'm a, it's, that's just normal, right? I'm not trying to be a hero. That's normal. Waking up, new moms and dads, waking up at 2 a.m. on a winter morning, Why do you do that? Because there's something in you that wants to lay down your life, that is willing to sacrifice for that other person. And we'll do that for our own kids, but will we do it for one another? Will we do it for the Lord? Will we lay down our lives as he laid his life down for us? You see, there's two sides to this message. One is... We need to rise up and be the fathers that this family needs us to be. And mothers. It's Father's Day, so I'm using fathers, but, you know, you can. (laughs) The world needs You know, it's interesting. Some years ago, a greetings cards company, I think Hallmark in the UK, they did an experiment on Mother's Day. They sent greetings cards, Mother's Day cards, into the prisons for free. And they paid for the postage for any prisoner who wanted to send a Mother's Day card. And it was an overwhelming success. Thousands and thousands of prisoners sent Mother's Day cards, and it was such an overwhelming success that they decided to do it for Father's Day. And almost no prisoners took advantage. What does that tell you about the state of people in prison? But we do need fathers, and we need mothers as well. This isn't to preach about how valueless mothers are, On Mother's Day, we'll do the opposite. (laughs) But we need to rise up. But we also need to come under the authority of the Father. There's a lot spoken about Father God and Abba Father. But the Scripture is quite clear. We are His children if we come under His love, His protection, And his authority. And not with an orphan spirit. And many people develop an orphan spirit. And an orphan spirit manifests itself in many ways. But generally, orphans often try to hold on to things too tightly because they're afraid of losing it. And the irony, like sand, is the harder we try and grasp something, the more it falls through our fingers. And so instead of trusting that there will be an endless supply from our Father, we try and hold on to what we've been given. An orphan struggles to trust. An orphan is often suspicious that they've been rejected once, they're going to be rejected again. An orphan is often insecure. And often, often pushes people away and looks for excuses to, to push people away because they think, I'm going to be rejected, so I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to push you away before you push me away. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
And lots of us come to the Lord with an orphan spirit. And it's very hard to open up and become the trusting, secure children that he wants us to be. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that adoption process. Because when we talk about adoption, we kind of think, you know, you've got mum and dad, they're desperate for a child, and then this baby, and there's this cute little baby, and they take this cute little baby home. And it... God's adoption process didn't quite work like that. You weren't a cute little baby. It's almost like a better analogy would be He walked into the orphanage and, and looked at all these kids. And some were cute. And some were eager to be adopted. And in the corner was some sulky, snot-nosed, filthy, obnoxious kid that nobody liked. Angry and bitter. And he said, I want to adopt you. And that child doesn't run into his arms like, thank you. I'm so appreciative. You know, it's not like one of these Disney movies. It's like that child often comes kicking and screaming. And the more that the father shows love, the more there's an angry response. And that's often how we come to the Lord. He didn't choose us because we were cute. <laughs> he chose us in our filthy rags. He chose us in our anger and our bitterness and our sin. And he chose us when we, had not, when we wanted nothing to do with him. But then something happens, or at least it should happen. You know, there's a scientific principle that says the longer a couple have been married, the more they look like each other physically. Yeah, my wife gets better looking every day. <laughs> And the reason for that is, when we talk, we subconsciously imitate each other's um, mannerisms. It's a way of showing empathy and connection. Um, so as a man and wife talk, yes, and some husbands and wives do talk. <laughs> as they talk, they're, they're subconsciously imitating one another, so they're using the same facial mu muscles. They tend to have the same lifestyle, the same diet, and all of those things. And so you begin to look like that person that you're closest to and that you spend the most time with. And then your children. Has anybody said, wow, she's just like you? The mannerisms, or even myself, you know, as a teenager, I'll never do that. I'll never be like that. I'll never be like my dad, and then I'm, I'm going, oh, I've just done my dad. Yeah? We, we take on the characteristics, the nature, the habits, and even the appearance of our family. And God wants to get closer to us as a father so that we can take on the image and character and mannerisms and values of our Father. And so that we can pass it on to others. We need to see the value of fathers in the house. In Ephesians 1 verse, from verse 3 to verse 10. It says, blessed be the God and Father. Okay, oh, wonderful. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In other words, we should be like him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It wasn't our choice, it was his. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And then it goes what, what that plan and purpose is, is to unite all things in one great heavenly family. But he predestined us, he chose us. And then he lavished himself on us that we should become holy, we should become like him. How incredible 
that promise that the Father wants to raise us up into maturity to be like he is. And one of the tools that he uses is spiritual fathers. He puts people in authority. He has delegated his own authority to others. We see that in Hebrews 13. Submit to your leaders. Obey them. Make their lives a joy, not a burden. I said, God, I'm sorry that I, I made my father's life a burden so often. And, it, and I'm endeavoring now to make his life a joy. Even though he's in the UK. Maybe that's what brings it to <laughs> How I wish I'd listened to my dad more. How I wish I'd given myself to him more. Would have saved me time, pain, finances. And spiritually, let's be those who give ourselves to God and to our spiritual fathers. Paul writes, he says... When I came to you, you gave yourself first to the Lord and then to us. And he said, he's saying you gave yourself to us just as you gave yourself to Jesus. And, and we've got this independent, individualistic kind of um, attitude, in, certainly in the Western world these days, like uh, just me and God, or I'm a gospel individual, or I trust God, I don't trust people. All these lines are going, no, no, if you trust God, you'll trust those that he's put in, in charge of you. I can't say I trust God and don't trust his ways. I can't say I love God and don't love his church. Imagine I adopt a child and the child says, well, I love you. I don't love any of the rest of the family. Now, if you love me, if you've been brought into my home, I want you to learn to love your family as well because you've been adopted not just into a relationship with me, you've been adopted into a relationship with the family. And that's the scary thing, right? We read in Scripture, we've been adopted by God. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've been adopted by God. So these are your adopted brothers and sisters. Oh! <laughs> you know, there's an old poem. It went something like this, if I can remember it. To live above with saints we love. Oh, now that will be Glory. But to live below with saints we know now, that's a different story. <laughs> but we are, we're adopted into a family. And I want to say this, and this is a discussion I was having somebody, with somebody recently said, um, what do you think of this guy? I said, if I were you, I wouldn't listen to him. I really don't want you listening to him. And then they got like, but if you tell somebody not to listen to somebody, it's going to make them want to listen to it more. Well, yeah, that might be true. But as a father, I still have to communicate to you what I think is going to be healthy and what. I, and it's not about control. It's not about a cult. It's like if my children, when my children were younger, and they'd they'd go and stay over at a friend's house, and they come back and they go, oh. So-and-so's dad said we could go to bed at 11. Yeah, well, that's their house. In my house, this is how we do things. And that's necessary, right? What, what kind of family would you have if your children went to listen to everybody in the world who's a father and pick and choose which father they wanted to listen to? Now, if you're a good father and you're a wise father, you'll listen to other fathers and get perspective on how to be better yourself. But it's not cultic to say to your children, no, listen to me, I'm your dad. I'm the one who's responsible for you. I'm the one who'll give, give an account for you. And so I want to say this, even in this house, let the voices of the fathers in this house be the loudest voice in your life. Not the latest sensation in YouTube, not the best-selling book in come books, wherever it is. Not your favorite preacher or author. Because those guys, as good as they may be, they may be more gifted preachers, they may be better theologians, whatever it is. But they're not going to stand before God and give an account for you one day. And Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, you've got many guardians, you've only got one father. You've got many guides, but only one father. 
And there are a million guides out there today. And they're a touch of a button away. And I want to say, honor the fathers that God has given you. And let their voice be the loudest. Because they're the ones that you know. They're the ones whose character you know. And they're the ones who will stand before God and give an account for you. Because God has delegated his authority. And I need to be an obedient son or daughter in the house. I need to honor my father. You know, there's only one of the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise. Honor your father and mother that it will go well with you in the land. And that's a principle that we need to carry through, that we honor those that God has put over us in the household of God. So what makes it so difficult? How many of you find it difficult to obey? Anybody? (laughs) Why is it so difficult to, to obey? One, pride. Two, past hurt. I've been let down before. Fear. Fear of being led astray. I often say this, people go, but if I listen to my leaders, they may lead me astray. And I said, that is true, they may. But the Bible says, your heart is deceitful above anything else. So you can follow your own heart and that will definitely lead you astray. Follow those that God's given you, and he may lead you astray. <laughs> so which, which you want? Well, go with the best odds. I struggle to submit to father figures because of abuse. And whether it be a spiritual father or an earthly father, there's been too much abuse. But the answer to abuse is not non-use, it's right use. The fact that I was abused once doesn't mean I don't need a father. It means I need a right father. It means I need a loving father. The fact that I experienced a spiritual authority once who tried to manipulate me for his own needs doesn't mean that I should abandon the idea of spiritual leadership. It means I need to find a leader whose character I know, who's following Christ, and who would lay down his life for the sheep. Elders, fathers in the house are qualified by character and by the love that they have for God, his church, and his people. I don't know if it's possible to redeem the concept of fatherhood in the world. I don't know if the world is too far gone. Even the word patriarchy it's a terrible word in society, right? Let's smash the patriarchy. Because patriarchy is seen as an, an attempt by men to control, subjugate, and demean women and children. But that's a perversion. That's, that's a sinful manifestation because patriarchy was God's design. And all patriarchy means is governed by fathers. And where you've got good fathers. In fact, put it this way. The more patriarchy has been smashed in the West, let's look at America, for example, the more patriarchy is seen as a bad thing, the greater incidence we have of broken families, suicide, depression, rape. <laughs> yeah. Where there is true patriarchy, my responsibility is not to demean and subjugate, but to elevate and protect, and lay down my life for. And I don't know if it's possible to redeem that picture in the world, but we've got to, pre- we've got to redeem it in the church. We've got to redeem in the church the concept of fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, and redeem it in such a way that when the world looks at us, some of us will hate us and call us misogynistic, chauvinistic, old-fashioned, out-of-touch, hateful bigots, and that's okay. Some people think that of us anyway. But many will look and say, there's something there that deep in my soul I am longing for. 
I'm longing for the love and the guidance and the protection. I'm longing for intimacy with the Father because we were all designed, whether we've tried to deny it or not, with a deep-seated need to belong to the Father. And we can try and fill that need with other things. And in the world, they're filling that need with sex or drugs or rock and roll. (laughs) But only God, as the perfect Father, can fill that need. And so I feel the Lord is calling us this morning. He's calling some of you to rise up and be the fathers that he's calling you to be. See yourself as a father. Some of you because you've got your own physical offspring and some because you've got spiritual dependence. But for you to rise up as a father, you've got to first be a son. To be a father, you've got to know your father. And so he's calling some to rise up to be fathers and he's called others to be better sons and daughters. To let go of the anger and the bitterness. Let go of the fear and insecurity. Let go of the past. Let go of the hate, the anger. And give yourself first to God as the Heavenly Father. And then give yourself to those he's given you for your benefit. To help you become more like Christ to help secure you in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. So some of us need to let go of the orphan spirit. We need to come to him and say, Lord, I've been a bad child, just like the prodigal son, but I'm coming home. And I love that story. Because if you look at that story, it's not even like the prodigal son is fully repentant. He just realizes he's eating with pigs. And maybe, maybe there's, there's a chance that he'd be better off in his father's house. And as he's walking there, his father is still, after all these years, watching for his return. And he runs to meet him and embraces him and celebrates And even if we've been unfaithful as sons and daughters, I can tell you this, the Father is just waiting for you to head back home. And he's going to run to meet you and embrace you and show you your place in the family once again. He's restoring a sense of family to his people. Not some spiritual, sentimental, happy, clappy, surface veneer. But a genuine commitment. A genuine love. A genuine belonging. A genuine giving ourselves to one another. Where we would die for one another. And where we would live for one another. And we would give ourselves first to God and then to each other. It's Father's Day today. We are celebrating dads. Let's not just celebrate dads. Let's commit to our father, to our fathers. And fathers, let us commit to our children. Let's give ourselves on a deeper level. As we all grow into maturity and into the likeness of Jesus as part of this thing that he gave us called family. Amen. Why don't you pray for us? So, Father, I just want to... We want to humbly come to you and just honor you and respect you and say help us to see who you really are 
where some of us have distorted views of you, just clean that up. Just open our eyes to see you, to see your heart, to see your characteristic, to see all the stuff about you which is so beautiful. Now, Father, we just want to surrender anew to you. And yeah, this, this morning, Father, I ask that even those who have not yet been adopted, that they'll come to a place where they realize, I am that kid in the corner. I need Jesus to bring me back to the Father. And for those of us who might have myth attitudes towards you, just help us to be better sons, Father. Help us to follow you better. Help us to see what Jesus did and just to walk in his footsteps. And in doing that, help us to show others how amazing you are and how beautiful you are and how loving you are and how much you care for this dying world. We love you, Father. Just help us to honor you through our lives. Amen. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. It was so nice to have a father in the house. Yeah, I've known him like 20 years in Josh Jane, so it's really awesome to hear his heart and to just catch something of who he is and what he's seen in church life and in God.